Radio Influence. The future is now. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Welcome, everybody, to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. I'm here with my sidekick producer, Seth Hurd. Hey, Seth. Hello. What a week this is going to be. Super Bowl week. It is the Super Bowl show. And we've got a very special guest coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, We do have a special guest, Scott Mitchell. I'm looking forward to having Scott on. He's a good friend. And uh, let's talk about who's in the zone. And this is something uh, that's dear to me, and that's professional tennis. Australian Open, who's in the zone? Roger Federer, you're in the zone. It's a 36-year-old guy, Seth, that is still playing tennis. Uh, I mean, these are five-hour, four-hour grueling matches uh, for somebody that age competing against 18, 19, 20-year-old kids and this guy wins 20 grand slams that's unfathomable to me the closest to him is uh rafa nadal 60 in my era and when i was out coaching full-time on the tour i was in awe of bjorn borg who won 11 grand slams and here roger Federer, 20 grand slams the australian open uh, i've had the privilege of coaching two people in the finals of the australian open uh, I coached a unseated uh, qualifier, a female, Betsy Nagelson, to the finals. And I also coached an Australian tennis player, Kim Warwick, to the finals against Arthur Ashe. So that's years and years ago. But it's a tough tournament. It's a tough tournament to win. Uh, the temperature on the court the week before, 140, 150 degrees on the court. Federer wins the semifinals because one of the, his opponent had blisters under his blisters, oh. and he had to default. So that really threw Federer for a loop uh, because he had routines. He, he expected a tough semifinal match. Uh, the player couldn't play anymore, so he really gets a walkover to the finals. And here's what Federer reported. So this is an iconic guy, Hall of Famer, maybe the greatest of all time, but he's talking about stuff that we've all experienced. No sleep. The 36 hours before the finals, he reported he couldn't go to sleep. He had this feeling that negative things were going to happen, and that's unusual for uh, someone this great to have those feelings. 
Um, so stress can enter the mind of even the best of all time. And particularly when it, it's a sport like this, I was just thinking about the, you know, the matches can go five hours. I played basketball and swam. That was the, those were my two sports. And one of those sports is like a minute at a time. And then the other sport obviously is a, a set amount of time. If you would have asked me, Hey, do you, do you want to swim for like five hours until your opponent, you know, kind of mentally breaks so you can beat him? I would have said, no, I don't, I don't really think that's a sport for me. Do you want to do it in 140 degrees? No, I don't think so. That's what Roger Federer did to pick up his 20th here. Yeah, they even have a, a Wilson, his racket company, came out with a commemorative platinum racket. Uh, you can buy that racket. They only made 20 of them. It's, uh, it got this special signature of Federer, $20,000 for the 20th Grand Slam commemorative Wilson tennis racket, and the money's going off to charity. The one thing I love about Roger Federer, he's a zone performer on and off the court. This guy's a class act, but to still keep winning, this, this guy's won the last three out of four Grand Slams, and uh, I t- in my book, he is the greatest of all time, and he, he has a game that he can stay back and beat you, he can attack and beat you, he can win with his serve, he can win with his return. There's many ways that Roger Federer can get you to lose or just flat beat you. And that's exactly what he did. He he won in five sets. And um, congratulations, Roger, Fe- Roger Federer. Uh, you are a zone performer. This is the only time I've ever I'm ever going to get to say this on the Jim Fannin show. I think another zone performance from this week comes from an Elvis impersonator. An Elvis impersonator. I've actually known one, which is a little strange, <laughs> who wanted me to coach him. And I'm like, what? I, and I, I actually turned the guy down. He wanted me to coach him to the number one Elvis impersonator in the world. Anyway, tell me about who's, who is this zone performer? Bruno Mars oh, really cleaned up at the come Grammys. On, come on. As a young child, he, was actually, he started his career as an Elvis impersonator. And just to give you the uh, quick rundown, if you missed the Grammys, album of the year, song of the year, record of the year, best R&B song, best R&B album, best R&B performance, one artist, one night, takes them all home. And what's not to love about Bruno Mars? I mean, when you see Bruno Mars uh, singing a song, you got to move. You got to tap your feet. You got to get up and dance. This guy gets every listener into a zone state. And I think that's one of the reasons he's so so awesome is that everybody that listens to it starts moving and grooving to the sounds of, of the beat and to him. Absolutely. Let's talk about another zone performer. Uh, this is one that uh, probably will not happen again. Um, the last time this zone performer really uh, was in the zone was in 1866. Seth, I'm talking about the moon. The moon is in the zone this week. Super blue blood moon. And the last time this happened, this is a trifecta. It's already happened, uh, 1866. So here's what it is. The second full moon of the month is called a blue moon. That very rarely happens. That's why in Kentucky, you know, us hillbillies, hey, I haven't seen him at a blue moon. So that because it doesn't happen very often. 
uh, a blood moon, that's a total eclipse, and the moon kind of turns reddish color when it passes through the Earth's shadow. And then the supermoon is the closest point to the Earth, the moon. This is a trifecta, Seth. This has not occurred since 1866. Hey, moon, you're in the zone. Let's talk about peaking at the right time and the right place. Money's on the table. Here come the Philadelphia Eagles. Great season, 13-3, and but they lose, arguably, the best quarterback in the NFL. And at the time they lost Carson Wentz, they were talking about Wentz as the MVP. Gone. And now they come back with their backup quarterback, Nick Foles. What kind of mindset does that take? Because I was one of those people that said, okay, Eagles, no more. They're done. How do you get in the zone when maybe the media doesn't believe in you? And let's face it, if you're standing in the shoes of Nick Foles, some of his teammates have got to be trying to stay optimistic, but kind of looking there going, how can anybody ever replace Carson Wentz this season? We lost an MVP. The definition of an MVP is there's only one of them. There's only one. However, the Eagles believe, and I've been to Philly many, many times. I've coached a lot of athletes in Philly. There's one thing I know about Philly. The Philly fans are going to bring it. Now, I'm not dissing the New England Patriots fans. They're awesome. They've, they've, they've really helped uh, a lot of come-from-behind victories. And they're obviously led by Belichick, the great, iconic coach. And then uh, some say the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest of all time, probably the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. So what a Super Bowl. We've got an underdog, the Philadelphia Eagles, with a quarterback that uh, – has been a backup and is now thrown into a starting Super Bowl role. I've coached a quarterback to the Super Bowl. So I've done that. And there's a lot going on at the Super Bowl. A lot of pomp and circumstance. A lot of, uh, a lot of energy can be taken away from you from every question a reporter is going to have. There may be 100 people interviewing you simultaneously. And by the way, you don't do that for fun. That's a league requirement. It's you a, have to be It's there. a league requirement. So that's not normal. Also, both teams are playing an away game in indoors in Minnesota. But then you've got been there, done that, New England Patriots. Tom Brady, been there, done that. They've had some uh, close games. He made, he's made some amazing comebacks, and the fans had a lot to do with that, the 12th man. So now we're coming up to the Super Bowl. I'm excited because we're going to have Scott Mitchell, former NFL quarterback, an amazing zone performer. He's got insights about uh, a championship team, being with a championship coach, and he's definitely got insights on the mindset of an NFL quarterback, especially for a big game like the Super Bowl. And this is a guy that, you know, didn't just have an amazing NFL career, but has continued to achieve and succeed and stay in the zone as he's moved on past the league, which is, you know, in some ways even more rare than becoming an elite athlete to learn how to transition 
and take that uh, skill set into other places. And I think one of the takeaways uh, from this week's show is how do I peak at the right time and the right place when the money's on the table? You know, everyone listening, we all have our own little Super Bowl. It could be a major presentation so that if I can land this new contract, my company's going to go to a whole nother level. Or I, I'm doing a merger, and I, one plus one's now going to equal 10. I'm definitely going to take my, my company. Maybe I'm going to take it public. What is your Super Bowl? What do you want to peak for? What do you want to have the most discipline, the most focus, the most confidence, but also the most calm so that you can think and make adjustments and the most enjoyment? You know, Super Bowls don't come around but once a year. And uh, you got to enjoy this ride. And who will get in the zone? Will it be the Phillies defense? Will it be their offense? Or will it be the Patriots defense or their offense or special teams? Everybody has their own personal Super Bowl. And here's what I've learned in my career. Go B to A. So the Super Bowl Pacific time starts, I think, 3.30 Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. So that's 5.30 here in Chicago, 6.30 on the East Coast. Super Bowl is going to begin. What's the team doing in the locker room? What is the last locker room message? And if you back it up chronologically, from Super Bowl Sunday to the Saturday before, the Friday before, today. And if you back it up and see what everyone is thinking, what everyone is doing, well, do this in your mind. An illuminated pathway is going to pop like a runway at an airport at night, and you can walk on it. Now, it might be a little bit easier for Belichick because he's done this B to A preparation before. So has Brady. But you can't argue that uh, the underdog has a lot, a lot of things to do, but the underdog also can narrow their focus. They got a little chip on their shoulder. They got a little, little extra incentive to overcome something. So whoever has worked on B to A, now they can walk on A to B as if it's so. It's going to be interesting this week. We talk about making sure that your score awareness is on point, right? Self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment. You got to make sure that those are all in check. The Eagles are really having fun in the early part of the week leading up to it. You know, uh, wearing dog masks. Hey, we're the underdog. One player, instead of wearing a German Shepherd mask or something, wore a pug mask, which I think is pretty funny. (laughs) Taking a pug to the Super Bowl. At some point, you've got to make that transition, though, from being loose and having fun to... You got to go out there and take care of business. Yeah, and it's going to come down to whoever executes the basics uh, at the right time and right place. Could be third and long, could be in the red zone, uh, could be a field goal attempt, you know, from 45 yards. There's going to be several moments of truth where whoever executes the basics is going to pick up the money. Uh, you could probably bo- boil the Super Bowl down to just a few moments in this game. And that's where you're going to see, 
are you prepared for that moment or not? And um, we already know that uh, the Eagles can win. They've won 13 games, only lost three. You know they can win. That's why they're there. You definitely know that the Patriots can win. And you also know the Patriots can come from behind. They've done it in the playoffs with Brady. Uh, But that's why they play the game, Seth. That's why they play the game. There's a lot going on. There's family, friends, the pop and circumstance of the Super Bowl. If this B to A, working chronologically in reverse, if that's not placed uh, firmly and the coach needs to see it and he needs to communicate that all the way down to even the guys on the special teams, that's really the team, I believe, that's going to win, the team that's prepared for this moment of truth. Of course, this is one of the iconic moments in American culture. It's something we all come together for. No idea what's going to happen. That's my prediction. I just don't know how to call this, but I think it's going to be a really interesting game. And I don't, I don't say that every year. Like Sometimes you go in and you're like, okay, this is, this is pretty lopsided. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to put Scott Mitchell, our, our guest today, former NFL quarterback, I'm going to put some pressure on him. Uh, so at the end of our interview, I'm going to ask him who's going to win. I want his prediction. He's got some insight that uh, we may not have. So I'm looking forward to it. So let's welcome Scott Mitchell. There are very few people that really know what the pressure of the NFL feels like, and we're so lucky to be joined by one of those today. Scott Mitchell, one of the elite quarterbacks of all time, uh, and we're going to throw some stats at you here in, in just a second, but if you want to talk about somebody that understands the weight on your shoulders and how to get in the zone, this is the guy. Scott, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Scott, I'm so happy that you are on the show. Uh, you are uh, my favorite quarterback. Uh, first of all, we're, we're, we're friends. So come on, that, what, what are friends for? But you did have uh, an awesome career. Uh, started off All-American, I believe, University of Utah. And then you get drafted in the fourth round. And you're going down to play with the Miami Dolphins behind the uh, amazing Hall of Famer, Dan Marino, what was that like? Well, the, a draft day was the biggest disappointment of my life. I, I thought I would get drafted a lot earlier, and then I didn't until the fourth round. And then when I did get drafted, I'm like, I'm going to the Miami Dolphins who have some guy named Dan Marino, and I'll never get to play. And I looked at it as a huge disappointment. My first day I was there, we were at a mini camp, and I was just blown away at how good he was and how fast the game was. I was like, there's just no way that I'm going to ever be able to do this. And, and then I was, I was kind of feeling down that I'd been drafted late, and I was there and you know, kind of feeling sorry for myself. And I just had this major wake-up call. It was like, look, like it or not, this is your opportunity in the NFL, and deal with it. And make the most of it. So I just, I just put it in my mind that I was, I was going to the Miami Dolphins to be the starting quarterback uh, for the Miami Dolphins. And of course, reporters asked me questions about how I felt being there. And I told them and they all, they all laughed at me and they said, you, you know, you've, um, do you know who Dan Marino is? Right. I mean, he's really good. You're never going to play. But I just, I had to have that mindset and I went into it with the mindset that I was the starter and, 
And I, I, I prepared every single day as if that was, uh, as if that was the case. Uh, I didn't, I, you know, I just stopped feeling sorry for myself. I, I just said, I am that guy today. And it, and it was, it was the reason that I made the team. And it was the reason that I eventually did become the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And it was one of the main reasons why I played 12 years in the NFL. You had that vision of making it to the NFL, starting in the NFL. What's the earliest recollection you had with that vision? I mean, how old were you? <laughs> well, uh, I was probably when I was born. I, I wasn't aware of it, but I'm told the story. I have three older sisters. I'm the youngest in my family and the only boy. And when I was born, it was back in a time when they didn't check, you know, ultrasounds, what the sex of the baby was. So my parents were just assuming they'd have another girl. My mom brought a pink dress to, to the hospital to take me home. And my dad said, no, my, my boy's not going to go home in a pink dress. He went out and bought a different outfit and he bought a football. And so I went home from the hospital <laughs> two or three days old with a football in my hand. But wow. I, I did have a conscious moment, um, and I was in this. I was in the sixth grade. We had career orientation week, and uh, they you did all these tests, and at the end of the week, you'd sit down with a counselor to review the results of your tests and pick your career, and then you would work your education to to accomplish that career. Well, I sat down with a counselor after a week of these tests, and he said, "You're most likely to be a garbage man or a mortician." <laughs> and what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I don't want to do either one of those. It's awful. You know, I'm just you know, mortified. And so he says, look, you, you just pick a profession. You don't have to pick one of these. I said, well, that's easy. I want to be a professional football player. He said, no one from Springville, Utah has ever been a professional football player. Pick something that you can really do. And I sat for a minute and I thought, well, maybe I should say doctor, lawyer, something, you know, just to be done with this. Cause it was, you know, I was so disappointed with where it was. And I said, no, I said, I'm going to be a professional football player. And they wrote that down as my career choice in the sixth grade. So the dreams. day I was drafted, my mom, my mom said, do you remember in the sixth grade when you told Mr. Jensen, you were going to be a professional football player? And she goes, I've never forgotten that. So dreams definitely come true. So you're behind, you know, you know, Jim, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a dream. I'm telling you, I, I, I wasn't like some kid who goes, Oh yeah, I want to, you know, I want to be a millionaire. It, it wasn't some, I, I believed it to the point of, I, I really did know that that I was going to do that. And, and I just, this I just always vision. knew it. It was a vision. Then. Yeah, completely. A vision. And, and then I, I, I would believe, uh, cause I know you that you broke that vision down into goals for yourself. Uh, and, some of those goals had to be the basics of the quarterback position. So, Scott, at, at what time did you kind of lift the hood on uh, the game of football, especially the quarterback position, and really get into the, the fundamentals of the game of being a leader, uh, but also, you know, being able to throw a, a pass to a well-defined target when you really cognitively – said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to master these basics. What age were you when, when you started doing that? When did you start really thinking about the fundamentals of the game? But I don't know that I consciously thought like, okay, here, here's the fundamentals. I, there was just something instinctively in me, a curiosity maybe 
that like, I want to figure out how to do this. I was probably about 10 when that started to happen. And, and I went to uh, a football camp at the, at Utah state university. It was called offense defense. They're still around today. And NFL players current at the time were the instructors. So uh, the one I went to was Gifford Nielsen and Mark Wilson, who both had been former quarterbacks at BYU. Gifford played for the Houston Oilers for about six years. Mark played for the Oakland Raiders for about 12. And I, the first time I watched them throw a football and I was right there, I was, it was live. It was right in front of me. I'm like, that's the most amazing thing in the world. It was beautiful. It was artistry. And to see the effort and the accuracy and that the ball, that they threw a spiral. Because I am, at that time, I couldn't throw a spiral. I was a baseball player. I, I, you know, wound up and threw it like, like a baseball pitcher. So I, I was just, I became fascinated with uh, how to make a football spiral and how to throw a perfect pass. And I would sit for hours in my house in the middle of the winter when I couldn't go outside and throw a football or, or whatever. And I would just toss the football up in the air in my living room and just toss it and catch it and just over and over for hours. Just with this obsession of, of actually being able to throw the perfect spiral. And then as I, I got older, I actually wrote a, a paper. I had an assignment in a speech class that I had to give an oral discussion and demonstration on teaching people a subject. And I chose to teach people how to actually throw a football the correct way. In fact, there was even a moment, and I remember teaching them that as you release the ball and as it rolls out of your fingers, that your fingers rotate out and away from your body, and that the last finger, your pointer finger, it's like flicking a booger, a booger from your nose. You know, you got to flick the booger away from your body. You don't want it to get on your body when you get rid of it. And you said that in your speech, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, it was memorable. They couldn't forget that. Come on. So, so yeah, there was always, I mean, and, and that never ended. I mean, there, and even to this day, I'm fascinated. I love to watch. I love to watch like Tom Brady. I love to watch Peyton Manning and, and, and their motion, their delivery, and, and uh, their mechanics of, of how they throw a football. But it wasn't until I became a captain on my football team, uh, in probably the ninth grade, and, and it was the first time that I wasn't just another guy in the line stretching and warming up for practice. I was in front of all my teammates leading the stretching, and I just had this rather different feeling come over me when they all were looking at me and they're like, you're our leader, lead us. Oh, that's pretty heady stuff. And of course that's what makes Nick Foles job and uh, getting the Eagles to the Super Bowl. That's definitely what's made uh, Tom Brady's career. Uh, One of the things of being a leader is that your team members expect you to deliver they expect you to call the right audible they expect you to uh, make the little nuance adjustments how was it when you were in Miami how good was Dan Marino at those leadership subtleties well the thing that I think was unusual or any team at that time, it hadn't been in the NFL, was that quarterbacks called their own plays. 
back in the you know 50s, 60s, 70s ish, a lot, a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks just called their own plays and games, and then coaches have started taking over that responsibility. When I was drafted, Coach Shula handed me a playbook when I first got there and said, "You call your own plays and practice." And I'm like, that it just shocked me. I'd never heard of that, never done that. And Coach Shula said, "Look, I do this for two reasons. One." I want to know what you have confidence in and the plays that you like. I can have all the greatest plays in the world. And if you don't have confidence in them and you don't believe them and you don't like them, they're worthless. So I want to know what you like. The other thing he said, I also want you to learn the playbook. And so it, it put all the, all the onus on the player. And, and you were expected to know the playbook, to call the right play, and to even change a play if it was different. And he, he developed in players this, this instinctive um, intuition about what to call in the, right, in the right situation because he gave us the responsibility. I, I didn't really fully appreciate how wonderful that was until I went other places. And I had coaches that were so tight on their reins that you were going to call exactly the play they had called, no matter, you know, come hell or high water, we're running this play and that's it. And, and it took away that feel or, or your instinct for, you know, no, I, 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 I really like this play right here. I, I don't know why I'm going to call it, but I just feel what we should go with. Coach Shula was great about letting you learn intuition and other coaches just, just stripped it away from you, which was a tragedy. Well, as you know very well, part of the score system is being well prepared uh, so that you don't have to consciously think and you can tap in to your intuition, your creativity, your imagination to call the right play at the right time of the game at the right moment. Now, you had, when, when you, I, I will come back to Shula, I want to ask uh, some more questions. I want to take you to Detroit. You're all pro. You had the great Barry Sanders as a running back. Uh, you had great receivers. Uh, you had the great Herman Moore, uh, who I've talked to uh, through you, as a matter of fact. Um, and then uh, you also had uh, Brett Perriman. So you've got two good receivers. You've got a great back. Uh, you're an all-pro quarterback. Can you tell me an intuitive moment that you had, let's just say Herman Moore, great, great receiver, one that was uh, uncanny, no words, you two knew. Tell me about your relationship with the receiver intuitively. Yeah, and you, you talk about that preparation and, and you practice things over and over so much that it just, it just becomes conscious, you know, unconscious confidence. You just, you just know what to do. And that, that, was, that was one of the great things about our offense. Um, Tom Moore, who went on to coach Peyton Manning, ran the same offense with him. And, and a lot of people have seen the success they had with that offense. But it, it, it was really, um, it wasn't over, overly complicated. And it just, it put, it allowed players to um, kind of let their natural abilities shine and he put put people in one-on-one -on -one situations to beat other people but uh herman because of this and we we just developed this this 
the real relationship. And I, I don't, I can't even describe it. And, and I've even tried to describe it to some people and they're like, that's, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. But I literally could be underneath the center in the middle of a football game and look at Herman, who was out to either my left or my right. I wouldn't give him an audible. I wouldn't say a word, no hand signals, no anything. I just kind of look at him and we're just having this nonverbal conversation. He's like, yeah, I know exactly what you want me to do. And it, and it would happen. I mean, there, there, we would be down on the goal line and, and I, I will tell you, I would take Herman Moore on the goal line if I had one play that I had to score a touchdown, it would be I would throw the ball to Herman Moore, and I guarantee you 10 out of 10 times, no one could stop us. I know it. And, and we just had this chemistry, especially down there. We would have running plays called, and I would look out at Herman, and i go, Herman, I'm going to throw you the ball here. I know it's a run. I know it's not supposed to go to you, but I, I know that we need to score a touchdown, and I know that you're our best option. And, you know, I know Barry Sanders is back here, but I just, I'd get the ball pull up. Herman would run some kind of route, fade route, whatever, and I'd throw the ball and he'd catch it and we'd score. And, of course, you come over to the sideline and coaches are looking at you like, it was a running play. What are, the, what are you guys doing throwing the ball? And I'm wow. like, well, we're scoring wow. touchdowns, you know. And, wow. and so that, that happened all the time. And, and you can ask Herman about it. It was it was it was one of those special moments in my playing career and even in my life because we were so we it, we were like so symbiotically related. I mean, I just I knew exactly where he was going to be. I he knew exactly where I was going to throw the ball, and we never we never discussed it on the field. It was something we did spend a lot of time discussing it and working at it off the field a lot of time. And there were some innovations that we had actually started in Detroit. A lot of people hear this back shoulder throw, and that 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 was stuff that we we invented, uh, be just just figuring out how to beat defenses, and and we did a lot of really smart, really forward thinking things that were were way ahead of their time. But it was it was it was that preparation, and then you just had this. It, this yeah, you know, someone someone listening right now that runs a company. Uh, I'm just wondering, do companies, and I already know the answer, I think we know the answer, how many companies don't prepare like an NFL football team? How many companies have a major presentation uh, like their Super Bowl but don't have this kind of preparation? And so many times companies can be dominated by one person and there isn't that symbiotic, intuitive relationship where if somebody – drops the ball, so to speak, in the company, somebody else it just picks it up and runs with it. Um, yeah, there, there's, um, a lot to be, there's a lot to be learned from this. Well, that's an interesting comment, Jim, because when I first got to Detroit, we did have Barry Sanders, and they were like trying to just force, we got to run Barry Sanders, run Barry Sanders, because he's Barry Sanders. And we finally came to the conclusion, it's like, why are we trying to force something? We've got all these other great players. Let's get everyone involved in what's going on here. And, and, and when we did that, Barry Sanders was amazing, but everyone else was amazing. And we had an unstoppable offense. And it was as simple as uh, if they put we bring more players up to the line of scrimmage than you can block, throw it to your wide receivers because they're one-on-one. And if they don't and they try to cover the receivers, run the ball with Barry. So it was really a situation where I don't care what the defense does. They're going to be wrong here. And we're just going to take what people give us. 
and and get everyone involved in the office. And it was a record-setting offense. I mean, they had two receivers who caught over 120 passes in a season. That's true for 4,500 yards. And Barry Sanders rushed for 1,500 yards. You had 32 touchdowns also. I think that was in 95. Yeah, it let's was, go, yeah. Let, let's go back to Miami. I, I'm interested in preparation. I'm interested in routines because, you know, you, You've got a big event coming up. We got the Super Bowl in a few days, and that can throw routines out the window. You got well, that's this week. I didn't know the Super Bowl was happening. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, it, it's a crazy time for someone, especially if they've never been there, done that. Tell me about what you learned from Shula about routines. I mean, the only coach to lead an undefeated NFL team—pretty impressive. How did he do that? I, you know, I was like, all right, I'm drafted by the Miami Dolphins. This is the great, this is the legendary Don Shula, who ultimately wins more football games than anyone ever. It will be extremely hard for anyone to catch that record, even Bill Belichick. I mean, for what he would have to do for like the next 20 years to catch Coach Shula, just, it's not going to happen. It could be one of those unbreakable records. When I so I get there, I'm like, what? What does he do? What's the magic behind Coach Shula? I can't wait to see this. And I get to practice my first day, and the first drill we do is form tackling drills that I did back in little league football that I hadn't done since little league football. <laughs> Even the quarterbacks, the kickers, the punters, and and I'm like, so Dan Marino is form tackling me in practice, and he said, you know what? You may throw an interception. This went on every single day or every day that I was with the Miami Dolphins. That practice schedule and routine were changed. And the players who would come back from, you know, back in the 70s and early 80s said, yep, it's Wednesday and we know exactly what's going on at Dolphins practice. We probably could tell you at what time the certain drill is happening on Wednesday. It never, ever changed. And I, when I, when I first got there, I was like, well, this is stupid. Where, where's all the magic? You know, where's, where's the good stuff? What, what makes him so great? And it, it wasn't until I actually started playing that I, I – it's so much like Ralph Macchio in, in The Karate Kid. When he's waxing on and off and he's painting the fence up and down, he's like – I don't get the value in this. This is absolutely stupid. And that's exactly what it was with Coach Shula. You didn't, in the moment, appreciate that it was that practicing perfection every single day and doing it over and over and over again. That was the brilliance of Coach Shula. I didn't start playing till my fourth year. I, I came in for Dan Marino in the fourth game of my fourth year when he got injured. I ended up throwing for 250 yards in the second half of the game. Three touchdown passes was named AFC Offensive Player of the Game. But it was because of the way that I had been prepared. No question about it. It's like I didn't have a lot of experience, but I had, you know, I hadn't been in a game literally before, but I was completely prepared for this situation. And it, it was how Coach Shula functioned and how, what he believed in and how, how we prepared every single day at practice. Because I had other coaches in my career and none of them had a practice schedule and a commitment to practicing that way like Coach Shula. Self-discipline, I, I guess he was then the epitome 
of self-discipline. You know, routines are great. Uh, they give you confidence. You can pick them up and uh, take them on the road. And we've got an interesting situation. You've got two teams going to Minnesota. They're both visiting teams. It's not their home field. They've got their routines they've had for the whole year, but it's a circus. It's crazy. There's interviews. They're, they got to get tickets for their grandmother, for everybody, and their mom. Um, it's really an abnormal time, and uh, routines are a big deal. What's going through the mind of a Nick Foles? This is a guy that was great, and then he fell on hard times, didn't start. Carson Wentz goes out, uh, could have been the MVP uh, of the NFL, and now he's got a chance to win a world championship, the biggest game of his life. What's going through the mind of Nick Foles? Well, uh, I think just about figuring out how to win a football game and, and, and preparing for that. And what, what's great about the situation Nick Foles is in is he's got a coach, Doug Pedersen, who's actually my teammate in Miami. So Doug was the third quarterback with the Dolphins uh, when I was there. So he was. He was, you know, cut his teeth with the Miami Dolphins and Don Shula, and then he went to Green Bay with Mike Holmgren as a player and backed up Brett Favre, and then he went to to the Eagles with Andy Reid. So, so Doug understands how to how to prepare a quarterback and how how to quiet his mind. But on top of that, the offensive coordinator is Frank Reich. Frank Reich was actually a teammate of mine for two years in Detroit. Incredible human being, awesome coach, great mind, and played in four Super Bowls with the Buffalo Bills. So he understands how to get Nick Foles' mind in the right spot. The thing about Nick that's been most impressive to me is when Carson got injured, he stepped in and had to deliver a very crucial play to preserve the win for the Eagles. And he, in that moment of probably the highest pressure you could be under, delivered just a perfect pass. And I said, this guy, he, he, his mind, and, and he's in the right place. And then he had two or three games to kind of get, get the rhythm of playing again. And, and then on top of that, he, you know, he's played in pressure situations in the playoffs. I would not be surprised at all if the Philadelphia Eagles beat the New England Patriots, because it just smells like this. It's like Brady's so amazing. He's so incredible. And everyone's discounting Nick Foles. But I guarantee you right now, they are, they are putting a game plan together. And, they're, they're, and, and in doing so, they're giving him this confidence and this quiet calm. Um, to, to, so this moment isn't bigger than, than what he's all about. And, and he's got the right people around him that really can create that environment. Those coaches will 100% believe in Nick Foles and give him plays to where he can execute at a high level. I know it. I know, I know them all very well. You know, in big situations, uh, you don't need to create more pressure. The, the moment brings the pressure. You know, if you really step out and go, holy cow, a billion people may be watching me right now and all, all eyes are on me. But, you know, it's the person that executes the basics when the money's on the table, that picks up the money. So you've got, you believe with your experience, knowing these coaches, that Nick Foles will deliver the goods when the pressure's great. Yeah, I guarantee it. 
You know, I, I have a comment about that from when I played. And by the way, people go, what's it like to play in the NFL? And I could never explain it to people. I've tried to say things like, it's like trying to cross the five freeway in Los Angeles, California in rush hour traffic and not being hit by a car and, and being oblivious to all of the cars around you. That's kind of what it's like. Uh, but you, when I met you, I met you kind of right as my career was ending. And I was like, this is the first person I've ever met who can, who can explain in words what I experienced as a professional football player. But when you talk about those big moments and, and not making it bigger and not putting more pressure on yourself, I used to read a book right before I went on the field to play. Because you're right, there is a lot of pressure there, and 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 I had and I was worked up to play, and you're 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 ready to go, you, your your juices are flowing, but I I needed to calm down, I needed to not be too excited, to not get too worked up, and the way I did it is I actually read a book. It couldn't be a, a thriller, it couldn't be something about war and gore, it had to be something that was just completely mundane, and it was usually autobiographies of very interesting people. Because it was just factual. It was interesting to hear their lives. And it was just an awesome way for me to just be completely relaxed before I ever went on a football team. Well, this is, uh, and that's an awesome tool. This is about detachment. You know, once you detach from the circus and the pomp and circumstance of the Super Bowl, and you just get back into uh, the basics, uh it really makes life a, a lot better. And getting your breathing down, you know, I, I thought your analogy of crossing a, a, a five-lane highway in L.A. at rush hour without getting hit, uh, you got a lot of big guys coming at you, 300-pounders. They can all move. They're all quick. And they're all looking to rip your head off under pressure. Uh, this is just about executing uh, basics. But there is a purposeful calm. And so reading a book helped you find that purposeful calm. So Yeah, Jim McMahon, Jim McMahon's pur- pur- purposeful calm would probably have been, well, he did that. And, you know, he probably went out in New Orleans and, and had a good time every night. <laughs> that was his way of reading a book. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think everybody's got their own way to finding that. And, yeah. and, then, you, and then you come to the iconic, uh, some say greatest of all time, Tom Brady, 40 years old, I, I just watched a documentary on his training regimen, what he eats and what he does. This guy's been there, done that. He knows how to do it. Uh, and there's so many people, obviously, the bookies uh, have got the Patriots up six and a half points. Some say only four points. But I think everybody believes that Tom Brady is going to lead the Patriots to another, another world championship. What's going through his mind? He's been there. He's done that. What's Tom Brady thinking? I, I think Tom Brady has to create a scenario in his head that, that, that maybe is really antagonistic, almost, almost creating some kind of, I don't want to say controversy, but uh, something that gives him an edge. Because he's been there so much, uh, it, it, it's finding his motivation, finding out you know, what, you know, what pushes him at this point in his career. because. You get to a point, and what's so impressive about me is that he makes it look so easy. I mean, these are like 
monumental things he overcomes in, in the biggest arena you could possibly perform in when you're in the playoffs, you're in championship games, and to watch him do what he's done and, and to be so consistent and so dominant in the playoffs for seven, eight now Super Bowl appearances is just – he doesn't realize how hard this is, Jim. It is, it is brutally hard. And, and he just, he's seen it all. You know, he really has. There's nothing anyone's going to surprise him with. But he knows, he knows what it takes to play at that high level. Now, he, I think he wants to be the underdog. I think he wants to, you know, when he's played great, he's always played with, you know, I'm playing for my mom or I'm playing because you guys ticked me off about this deflate gate or I'm, I, I've got something to prove. And he's always been a player that's had that chip on his shoulder. You know, I was this you know, undrafted guy out of Michigan that no one, no one gave any credence to and no one really cared about. And he, when he does his best, he always finds a way to create that drama and maybe well, that, it's the stress that's, or that's whatever it is, but that's what he does. That's, that's very interesting for you to say that. Let, let's talk about the zone for a second. The zone will not arrive without stress. It's not going to happen. It's mandatory. It is the ignition fuel to get anyone into a zone state, you need stress. Well, the Super Bowl brings a lot of stress. Of course, we all know you can choke on that stress. It can back up like a, a commode and come over you, and you can freeze on the big stage. So you're saying that he needs to create this stress, this chip, this, you know, I think a reporter called his daughter or one of his kids a piss ant. So, so you know, maybe maybe that's the father. I do it, yeah. Uh, but he needs something that's going to create some internal stress so that he can use that as ignition fuel to put the zone on like this overcoat. I find that very fascinating, Scott. Uh, that, that's a that's a great observation. So let's talk about stress. You're now an ex-NFL player. Your career's over. You've moved on. And I know you've had a birthday. You're 50. (laughs) Your happy belated birthday. And uh, and, and earlier, earlier this month. And you also had some challenges. I know you were on the TV show, The Biggest Loser. That's probably something you never thought in a million years was going to happen to you when you were drafted, when you were all pro, and next thing you know, you're on a TV show called The Biggest Loser, and you're as a contestant on the show because uh, you needed to lose some weight. What was that realization like? That's a different kind of stress. It, it is, and it, it's something that I, I felt like. I kind of reserve my, or I resign myself to where I'm just going to be overweight. It was something that I'd struggled with for a long time, watched my parents struggle with it, watched my dad die from it. And I just thought, you know, this is, this is, this is my fate. And so, um, my, I might as well enjoy it. I just, I just kind of, you know, just relaxed and surrendered to being, being obese and, and I, and I, I, I never thought I'd have an opportunity to fix that. The show comes along. I wasn't looking for it. And, and I, I didn't want to go on it because of those reasons that, you know, I knew the critics and what they would say and former NFL player, you know, look what, you know, he just, 
you know, he's look, he, you know, he's just let himself go and has no discipline and just, you know, what a, what a loser kind of thing. And I, and I was just like, I live a private life. I, I don't want to subject myself to this criticism. I just, I felt uh, this, like almost compelled, almost like I had to do it. And I, with my dad dying, I was like, um, I had these really amazing experiences with my dad when he died, realizing that, uh, you know, my dad was like this worn out caterpillar who was going to go into a cocoon, but he, he would come back, he'd live again and he'd be this beautiful butterfly. And I felt like going on the show was my dad's way of saying, look, Scott, you don't have to die like me to become that butterfly. You can find that within yourself. And that, that's really why I went on the show. And, and it was how, the, how overweight were you, Scott? I weighed 366 pounds. So when I played football, I, I was about 100 and 120, 130 pounds over my weight. Did you approach the biggest loser like you would your football career? Did, did you get into the basics of training and what, what, what was that like? Yeah, you had to have gotten into the zone to, to lose the weight that you did. What was that like? You know, it was it was a willingness to surrender to the things that I feared the most, and and I I was afraid I was afraid of the of being vulnerable. I was afraid of of uh, admitting that, um, that that this was a real struggle, and that was that was the real strength that came to me was was recognizing that, um, you know, you're you're the only the beginning of of changing and growing is is realizing that there there's a problem here and having a willingness to submit to the process to say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I need help with this. And I understand the pro, you know, the process of all this, but th- these were things that I, I needed a better education on how to, how to live a healthy lifestyle. Cause I certainly didn't. So a lot of it, yeah, was, was very similar to anything I've done in my life. And, you know, it's something that is, is very near and dear to who I am and, something that I continue to work at and to help other people with. Well, you know, you know I, I believe I said this to you maybe the first day I met you. Uh, I actually met you at a golf uh, school, uh, golf in the zone school. Uh, you, you were actually one of the attendees in that school, and you, you were a very good golfer. But if it wasn't then, I, I, I probably took you off to the side. You know, you're so much more than a former NFL quarterback. And I tell all my clients now the same thing. You're more than a baseball player. You're more than the CEO of this company. You know, you're an awesome soul having a multitude of human experiences. And when did you come to the realization that you were so much more than just a superstar athlete or so much more than uh, a football player? When did that realization hit you? It actually happened on the show and I was, and I wanted to quit. I just said, looking at my life is too painful. (laughs) I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to look under the hood and see what's there. It's, it's not something that's pretty all the time. And, and then I, I had this moment, I woke up one morning and I just realized that, um, all of the, all of the experiences of my life have, have led me to joy. And without having sorrow and without having struggle, I can't find joy in my life. And so my joy came out of sorrow. 
that changed my whole perspective on everything I'd been through and everything that I continue to go through, go through and live in my life is um, some of the greatest experiences you have, some of the greatest blessings in your life are those moments you think you failed. That's when you learn who you are and you learn different parts of your character and your personality and you develop into so much more through all that you, you go through. And it's usually those hard things that you grow and go learn the most from. And I had always looked at it. I, I always looked at it as like, I've just failed. I, you know, I didn't win a Super Bowl, and I'm not in the Hall of Fame and that ate me up. And, and, but in the process of my whole career, I gained so much more about myself. And so it just allowed me to just really embrace my life. And you're right, Jim, it's, it, it, I am a very dynamic individual who's had a wonderful and amazing life. Adversity introduces you to yourself. And, and I think the epiphany for most of us is when we look in the mirror and we, we may not like what we see. And whatever that realization is, uh, that's an opportunity. Uh, how many of us have reinvented ourselves over our lifetime, and how many of us will continue to evolve and reinvent ourselves. So speaking of that, successful NFL quarterback, financially secure, woke up one day and uh, found himself on the Biggest Loser TV show, had an epiphany again, uh, went through that experience. What's next for Scott Mitchell? What's next on the horizon? So I actually have, uh, I, I create digital content for um, a multimedia company here out in the Intermountain West. Uh, they have radio and TV stations in Utah, Seattle, San Francisco, San Sacramento, Denver, Phoenix, Las Vegas. So I create sports content for the digital market. So I do a couple of podcasts. Uh, I will do one called Helmets Off, which I'm going to have you on, by the way, Jim. And I interview uh, former athletes and just people I find interesting and just, just kind of peek under the hood and see what makes them tick. And then I do another show called Rivals with a former NFL defensive lineman, Jason Buck, who won the Outland Trophy Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins. We have this fun banter back and forth um, just about what it's, why quarterbacks are so much better than defensive linemen and and uh, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. We have a bunch of other stuff that that's in the process of developing. And then I, I'm actually going to start a a weight loss program where people can come and join for free. And uh, and it's it's a Biggest Loser at home, uh, something that you don't have to go on sh a show, but you can actually do it in your in your own life. And so I'm really excited. That's that's going to start here really really soon. Well, you know, one of the things that I learned about you is that uh, you are one of the good guys. Uh, you do have a lot of emotion. And I, I think there's something else that you did that really told me who you were. You were living in a, an amazing home in Orlando. Uh, you were doing some real estate. And you woke up one day and said, I'm moving back to Utah, and I'm going to coach my high school football team. And I'm sure around the world, everybody's like, what? Are you kidding me? And I, I remember getting the phone call from you, said, 
I'm going to coach my high school team and we're going to the state championship. And I remember sending a whole bunch of books and uh, talking to you about that. That showed me a lot about you, Scott, and, and who you were, that it wasn't about money. It was not about riches. It was not about fame. Uh, it, it was about helping other people be the best that they can be. And everything you just described really speaks to that. Tell me about that transition. NFL quarterback, now you got an awesome home. You, you don't even need to work. You got money. I think you signed the richest NFL contract at that time. That's been broken many times since that, that time. But you woke up and said, I'm coaching a high school football team. Tell me about that briefly. Actually, my wife did that. <laughs> oh, um, those they, wives. They called, you know, no, no, they, they, those they, wives they called, can do yeah. it. <laughs> they called me on the phone and said, would you be interested? Someone said you'd be interested. And I said, no. And my wife said, yeah, I think we are. And so we, we came out here to Utah and, and actually just had an, an incredible feeling about this, is what we need to do and, and what I, and what I should, you know, where I should go. And so, so we moved out here and it was, it's, it, it was an incredible experience. Uh, so glad that I did it. Never thought I'd move back to Utah. And now that I live here, I never, never see myself leaving. It's just a wonderful place to raise a family and to live. It's just absolutely beautiful here. But the, the experiences I had are, are just priceless. And you did turn that team completely around in one year and I believe led them to the state uh, finals. That yeah, we, we had, yeah, we had, uh, we went to playoffs every year. My second year, we, we played in the state championship and, uh, actually, um, and then my third year, we, we beat the team that we lost in the championship and they had won 20 straight playoff games and four straight state championships. And so, yeah, it was, it was quite a, quite a, quite an experience. And it, and it was all about, teaching young boys how to get out of their way and how to understand how powerful their minds are. And, and that's, I spent most of my, it wasn't about X's and O's. It was about getting these young men to believe in themselves and see, see their true potential and, and believing that they could do things that they had thought impossible. And uh, it was, it was all the things that I've learned throughout my life and all the things that you talk about. So rewarding, Jim, because one thing to do it for yourself, but to actually coach other people and watch them have success is, is a very rewarding thing. Now, you, you, there's some young quarterbacks I know listening to this podcast. Uh, there's a lot of young athletes. We've got business leaders. Uh, we've got parents. There's a lot of people with different backgrounds listening. And we're here, obviously, talking about the Super Bowl. But if you could give one bit of advice, and you could only give one bit of advice, and, and Scott, I know you're loaded with lots of insight and a lot of advice, but if you could only give one to the listeners, what would it be? Finish. Finish. Uh, your, your, life is, your life is just a series of moments, and it's just finish this moment. And, and whatever finish, whether finish is just, is it, it just make the most of this moment, finish it out, see it to its completion. And then you just build on all of those finishes, finish, finish this play, finish this drive, finish this quarter, finish this series, finish this half, finish this week, 
finish the month, finish this week, finish, you know, yep, it's just, it's it, all we are given is time. And, and the only control we have is the time we have right now. And the, and, and how we control our time route right now has a significant impact on our future time, our future outcome. But it's this moment is all we have. Scott Mitchell, uh, you are awesome. And uh, it's been my pleasure to know you for as long as I've known you. But thank you so much for being on the Jim Fannin Show. I appreciate it. And last, all right, Scott, I'm going to put some pressure on you. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? I want an expert opinion. Yeah, I'm going with the Eagles, uh, and I am because I know those coaches. I, I saw something in Nick Foles. This moment isn't bigger than him, and it's not just Nick Foles. This is a team that's really focused, and, and they're, they're going to make it happen. You know, I just, I just see something in Nick Foles. Uh, he, he's been able to, to live up to the moment. I know the coaches, uh, and they will have him ready to play, and this isn't going to be a bigger moment than him. But that whole team is, is ready to play. I just, I just have a gut feeling it's going to be the Eagles. I, I, will, I, I need to tell everybody listening, you have just heard a zone performer, uh, someone that really gets what is the zone, how to get in the zone, how to elongate the zone. Scott Mitchell, I'm glad to call you one of my close friends. You're awesome, and you're in the zone. So uh, uh, let's go Eagles from your standpoint, and that's why they play the game. We're going to see what's going to happen. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure. One of my favorite parts of the show, you get access to world-class coaching, just like some of the top professional athletes and leaders in business and entertainment. Ask Jim at jimfannon.com. That's ask Jim at jimfannon.com. First one here, sports question. Hey, Jim, how do you coach a player who has been unexpectedly traded? How do they get in the zone in, in a new team, in a new city, in a new place? Boy, that's a tough one. Uh, the way pro sports goes, uh, sometimes you learn that you, you got traded. Uh, on ESPN, or you get a text from a buddy that heard about it. You don't always hear it firsthand from the coach. So if you are traded, it, it can be a shock to the system. But there's a lot of complications that go into that trade. You got to move your family. You got to find new housing. And I've got to be on a plane going to my next place at four o'clock this afternoon. And you look at your wife and go, uh, I'll see you in Philadelphia or wherever I got traded. <laughs> so it's pretty heady stuff. I, I think the key here is for a professional athlete, especially, to realize this is a business. It's not always fair. And you are a pawn in this billion dollar business. Yes, you may be a millionaire, but the league's run by billionaires and it is big business. So, uh, they're not emotional when they make these trades. They're not emotional when they cut someone and relegate them to the minors or just cut them and put them on waivers. So I've, I've received those phone calls, Seth, many times. And the first thing you need to do is narrow your focus, know who you are, take your mental routines that you've been using, pick them up. That's why you have routines preparation routines, adjustment routines, and 
even routines of evaluation, you can pick those up and move them to another team very easily. So uh, I I think you need to stay non-emotional and start dealing with the task at hand because wherever you're going, you're going to have to execute the basics immediately. And of course, we always wrap up the Jim Fannin show by driving through the Zone Cafe. Before we do that, remember, uh, you can go ahead and check out the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and stay connected. You know, the Zone is not just for the day the Jim Fannin show drops. This is a part of every single day of your blueprint, and it can be a part of your social media and, as well. And if, and if you have a good time on the show and you have some takeaways, share it with other people. Uh, come in and like us and uh, comment, uh, and definitely send me any questions you might have. Nothing's off the table. Ask Jim at jimfanna.com. I look forward to these uh, emails. I, I get a lot. Uh, we can't answer all of them, but we'll do our best to get them answered on the show if possible. All right, a very special Super Bowl edition of the Zone Cafe. We're driving up. There's only five things on the menu. You know what? The Eagles and the Patriots need to order off this menu as well. What's on the menu? Well, first, you can order some self-discipline. Big heaping plate of self-discipline. And that's a commitment. And I think the key word is commitment. A commitment to a plan a commitment to tasks that lead to goals, and a commitment to a vision. And if you're really disciplined uh, and you've eaten that big heaping plate full, uh, you'll have a vision that wakes you up in the morning and tucks you in bed at night. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need self-discipline. But you might need some concentration. And we got a big bucket of that, Seth. And you know, once you start diving into that bucket of concentration, your focus is going to narrow. Uh, you'll put some blinders on. You're not going to see all the distractions that are maybe always there. Uh, but you're going to be able to focus mental energy and physical energy on the tasks that lead to your goals. So if you need concentration, uh, definitely get a bucket of it right here at the Zone Cafe. Most of us, we might need this next one because this is, uh, this is pretty important. That's optimism. That has jurisdiction over confidence, pride, trust that you have what you have is enough, uh, self-esteem. We've got a big slab of optimism. If that's what you need, that's the missing link that's keeping you from being a zone performer. Boy, definitely get a big big bite of optimism and take it with you. But you know... Some of us are very disciplined, Seth, and some of us are very focused. You might need a big, cool, tall drink of relaxation. And that's when you're breathing very comfortably in the six to eight breath per minute, uh, as opposed to the normal 15 to 17 breaths a minute. And this is being um, mentally and physically comfortable with the task, the execution of them free from worry, free from anxiety. And if this is a missing link in your score chain, there's no death and take a big cool drink of this and that's going to give you a little bit of calm that might be needed. But the happy meal that we have every week is, well, you got to love what you do. You got to do what you, you love and get excited about your challenges. That's enjoyment. So 
we've got a uh, plate full of enjoyment. And if you need a little pep in your step, a little passion, if you will, uh, some zest for executing these basics, definitely put that order in right now. And don't forget, you can come back and order something else in an hour or something else tomorrow. And you can also go to the Zone Cafe without Seth and I being here. Uh, You can do a score check. My clients do every morning. They do a score check before every performance, even a a practice. Uh, They do a score check before every business meeting. So use the Zone Cafe to find out the missing link. And remember, Seth, everybody on this planet has a high-low level of self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment at any given time. This makes up your overall attitude, and you and only you are responsible for all repairs and all maintenance of these five intangibles. And because of the internet, because of our cell phones, you know, never before in the history of mankind have we been bombarded with so much information, and a lot of it is negative. And uh, that can take your score level, if you will, your attitude, and that can cause it to fluctuate like a yo-yo. So manage these five elements. Know what your weak link is. Go to your own zone cafe and uh, decide what you need for that particular time and place. So make sure you've got your eyes on that score level for yourself. And we just go on this show as well by just saying, have a great time this weekend. Oh, have some fun. Super Bowl weekend. I hope you're all going to party hardy. Choose your best team. Put on your Eagles uniform. Put on your Patriots helmet that you're wearing in the living room. What's up with that? Uh, don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. But get in the zone. It's one of the greatest uh, sporting events ever in the world. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing who's going to handle the pressure, which team's going to get in the zone. I'm looking forward to it. So, Seth, until next week, be in the zone. Be in the zone, everybody. It's the only place to be. Chris Landry inviting you to join me for Landry Football Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. We'll give you the coaching and scouting angle to the college and NFL game. Film breakdown, scouting reports, X's and O's, the latest inside scoop, coaching search information. We've got it all for you. I'll take my experiences as a coach and a scout and bring it to you, the fan, to give you access to the best football information on the college and pro level. Join us at LandryFootball.com. And remember the Landry Football Podcast right here, as well as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.